The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. It's often said that money doesn't come with an instruction manual. Well, you know what else doesn't come with an instruction manual? That's, that's how to scale a business. Our region spends a lot of time talking about helping entrepreneurs start businesses, but frankly, starting is way easier compared to what follows. As a resource for the many entrepreneurs who face the specific challenges of business scaling, I asked some of our region's most energetic and connected tech entrepreneurs to come into the studio and share some lessons learned and hints for all of you. I'm very excited to have this conversation with them. I think it'll be very useful and informative. Our guests are Pat Sheridan, co-founder of Modus Create, one of our region's leading voices on software product development and business models. Pat, thanks for being here. Hey, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Bobby Christian, Chief Operating Officer of DeepWatch and a serial entrepreneur with six or more successful exits to his name. Bobby, good to see you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Jonathan. Looking we, forward to this. We can validate the number later. And Glenn Pendley, <laughs> CTO of Security Scorecard and a proven technology officer with major growth successes in his resume. Glenn, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get after it. Why don't we begin in the beginning? When you all started out your businesses, or maybe the one you're in right now, what, what's, the, what's the hardest part about starting? Yeah, I, th- I think um, just making the decision. Usually something happens. Um, and in my case, uh, I was with a company that had been acquired. We had built a very successful services division, um, incredible margin. We were growing rapidly, but it was part of a product company. And the product company was public. So that product company decided to basically spin out or get rid of the services business and not sell it, but actually just shut it down. So that just became an opportunity for me to go back to the CEO of the company and say, hey, there's still a market need and demand. It may not be good for your margin, but that opportunity, that led to an opportunity to actually start a company to fill that void. So it was almost like a forced um, situation and really became an incredible opportunity for me to start my own company. But certainly not the stereotype of uh, a guy and a dog in a business plan. No, in fact, you know, I think I think each of us here have been a part of very successful companies. I had some incredible mentors that had built companies that I was a part of, and um, I was a sponge. And one of the lessons, my biggest lessons learned is when you see somebody doing something well inside of a company, uh, come alongside them, ask them to mentor you, just beyond what your normal job function is, but seek out other people that can help you build capacity that you may not have. How about you, Pat? And uh, Glenn, does your experience uh, match the stereotype of uh, starting out a business plan in a garage? No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know, the when I when I talk to other folks that have founded companies or, or to, to Jay, my business partner, it, we always use this term like accidental CEO, right, or accidental founder. So for me, it was more like, um, you know, I hit this point around 15 years, 10 to 15 years in, in my career being very much on the emerging tech side where you start to realize you know a lot of stuff. And you know a lot of people that have gone on from all these early startups you were part of or other companies. And you you um, you have this network that you didn't realize you had. And I think um, being different than than product, you know, um, venture-funded um, startups and more of a, a serviced innovation startup, what I realized is, um, you know, I knew a lot of people that wanted to do work with me. 
And so the, the hardest part was just the becoming self-aware and realizing, okay, do, am I an LLC? Am I a C-Corp? Like, well, how do I pay myself? We, we often have our areas of domain expertise that are really core to the business being successful, but how to file with Virginia, how to do the things that actually enable you to have a business um, can, can often be the most challenging when you're, when you're getting off the ground. And how about you? Yeah, I, th- I think my my opinion is pretty much in line with both Bobby and Pat on this. And to to kind of touch on something that Bobby said in regards to mentorship and being around people that have done it before, I've been very fortunate in my career to to be involved with founders of companies who have been successful in starting, um, in some cases, garage like uh, startups versus you know serial entrepreneurship. So, you know, in my experience, a lot of it just comes from you know, the, the network, the people you know, and taking advantage of that, uh, you know, that sort of mentorship. I think network's a big thing, and I, I want to come back to that. Before we go there, I am curious what your life experience has been. Is it is it harder to start a business or is it harder to scale? And when did you realize the one was hard on the other? Making the decision to start something is probably one of the hardest things to do. People delay it, they delay it, they delay it. And even people that really want their own business – so I think making the decision and, and actually starting it is harder. I think you, if you find the right people to surround yourself with, if you get the right mentorship um, and you get the right advisory board and board members along the way, I think they can help you with each of those steps along the way. But I think making that decision psychologically to do it is actually harder, quite frankly, for me um, at the beginning. That's surprising. I, I feel the exact opposite. What about I, you I guys? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, I actually feel – um, the exact opposite on this from a tech, a tech and product perspective, you know, assuming that the business is in place, you know, the the very quick, you know, hack things together, you know, you do whatever you need to do to get the next deal. The, the You don't need as much discipline in place to get something to keep continue to get that next deal closed. Once you start getting, you know, critical mass and, and have to build things for scale and put in the discipline and process and really start growing out to me, that is you know, astronomically harder than just the, the beginning well, stages. I think about actually how I met you, Bobby, and uh, I was five years in with a company that I started as an independent consultant that grew to about 10 people. I just finished business school and thought I knew all the things <laughs> as it related to business. And and after kind of meeting you and, and the, the companies you were involved in scaling, I realized in order for me to grow, I'm going to have to fire myself or get uh, a company to see value as a complementary piece to what they're doing with the business that I couldn't get above 10 people. And being being able to kind of surrender that and help accelerate someone else's run, like you, you can't even imagine what you're going to learn and the experience you're going to get. And I think, you know, as it relates to the scaling side of a business, on the service side, like I said before, I think it's really easy because you're good at something. If people want it, you can, you know, computer or laptop and a network can keep you in business but may not get you above 10 people. But at a certain point, all the MBA stuff, you get to $5 million in revenue, all of a sudden, you know, those things about the discipline, as Glenn mentioned, of running a business matter. And I think for, you know, for where we are in the scaling at, at Modus, you know, essentially we had to um, – fire ourselves to move to a more corporate structure where everything's going through the founders and you start to realize you have to make those switches from hero to systems power. And so when I had heard and even witnessed in my network here in DC, like a lot of people exit after 10 million or they exit between 10 and 20 million. Well, a lot of it's because that's where you're shifting from hero to systems power, right? And that 
that that can be a very painful thing or you have to invest a lot ahead of revenue. Well, so, I think that's really the biggest challenge that many entrepreneurs, I think we all face, which is we start a business because it's interests us, because we see an opportunity. People come and join because they want to work with us. But you reach a point in an organization where you literally don't have enough hours and day to communicate with everybody. All the things need to happen. So the you have to have organizational structure. You have to have HR. You have to have strategy. You have to have product managers and all these things. And a lot of us don't like that kind of structure, which I think maybe is why a lot of people sell when they're 10 million. How did you all get over that? Because you've all gotten over in various ways. How do you get over not knowing everybody that's working for you? Yeah, I think Patrick said something interesting. I'm going to tell a little story about Patrick as it relates to that, specifically the structure. Yeah, it's, it's worth telling the story. What I, what I find fascinating is he started his company because he was really good at what he did. Other people were drawn to him. He got to 10 people. But um, Mike Tyson says a great strategy is phenomenal until you get punched in the face. Right. And so I think Patrick was getting frustrated because he's like, I need to figure out. I got punched in the face because I can't quite break through this threshold of 10 people. So when we did meet, he knew that he didn't have the sales um, side of the equation nailed. So to his credit, when he said he fired himself, and we talk about structure, he's like, what structure do I need to put in place in order to scale this business? He was interested in and passionate about growing a business versus the thing that he was doing, which is very different. Like you can be really good at something, have a lifestyle business and make a ton of money and and be very successful. But if you truly want to scale a business, you've got to have all the components and facets of that business from finance to marketing to sales to operations. And so to, to Patrick's credit... He fired himself. We actually acquired his company, and for about 12 to 18 months, we literally went up and down the corridor selling together. And he knew at a certain point in time, when I get to the point where I know that I can do this as good or better than you, Bobby, I'm out. (laughs) And 18 months to the day, he came in, and we got a cup of coffee, and he's like, I'm out, and and, um, has been incredibly successful in his next venture, which is Modus, and I've been a part of that and watched that and watched him scale it. So So effectively, he fired himself, and then he fired you. And I knew it. I was happy. It was the best. It was one of the best moments of my life. You know? It's like, wow, that was great. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, listen, I, I remember talking to Glenn when I met Glenn, like, look, how, how do you be part of a company that gets acquired by one of the biggest, you know, companies in the world and and, you know, come up with ideas. And, I, and I, you know, and, and I think in this area, what I love about D.C., is it's like a medium-sized pond with a lot of big fish in it. You know, this like a small city, but yet a lot of big impacts here. And so I remember talking to Bobby as I was planning on, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, and uh, and he was like, well, have you heard of Mindshare, right? Did you know that there's things like, you know, FounderCore? Like, how's that? Local like, network. Yeah, how, how I met you. Connect, right. and, and then, you know, part of that kind of, um, you know, implicit contract is like the best, you know, I, I always joke with, executives that we bring in like the interview is your first year right the interview isn't the interview the interview is like let's see what happens and and so you know being able to tap into his network as i would say i'm trying to build an advisory board or i need someone to lead sales or who have you worked with you know that i would know and i think that's one of the hardest things you know for any entrepreneur is really understanding like the human you know the human side so you know for me i'm maybe it's just the the engineering you know piece of me I try to look at things as logically as possible and scaling a company, millions of companies have done it. It's a solved problem. And while every, every company there's nuance and it, it's a unique sort of situation, there's no really, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. So 
I'm, you know, very data driven and I just apply different things. If it's not working, just be open to change and just try to be as efficient as possible, communicate as much as possible. So I don't, I don't try to do, you know, the success that I've had in regards to getting over this. It's just, I take a more logical approach and do what it's necessary to work. We're having a great conversation here about how to scale a business with uh, Bobby Christian, Pat Sheridan, and Glenn Pendley. We will be right back after the break. I'm going to give you some insight into how you can figure out whether or not you're doing a good job. Be right back. Thanks to Acuity. Acuity is a leading technology innovator solving big data analytics problems. Check them out today and discover the power of Acuity. And thanks, as always, to our sponsors. If you want to join them and help support one of the leading programs in the region pointing out the positivity that defines us, please communicate us directly on Twitter at, at @whatsworkingdc. What's Work in Washington, talking about how to scale a business with Pat Sheridan, co-founder of Modus Crate, Bobby Christian, COO of DeepWatch, and Glenn Pendley, CTO of Security Scorecard. Let's give some folks some hints, guys. How do you know if you're doing a good job of leading the scaling organization? Yeah, at the end of the day, um, I always say that I'm addicted to the graphs that go up to the right. Um, and if you're scaling, the curves are going up to the right, and um, they're very easy metrics. Um, what's our revenue growth? What's our gross margin growth? What's our net profit growth? What's the headcount growth in the organization? What's the revenue per headcount? And you look at that every morning when you wake up, and um, and then you go to the sales side, and what's my total pipeline? Look at that funnel. It's so easy to measure that, and that's one of the things I love about growth is that I think we talked about it earlier. He said that, hey, it's, the problem's been solved. So all you have to do is emulate the best and then say, hey, what is the dashboard telling me? And you know whether or not you're doing a good job because at the end of each month, it's X or Y, and it's black and white, baby. You know, I, I, I've been saying a lot to my team, there's strategy by default and strategy by design, right? I, I feel like sometimes if the macroeconomics in your favor, all those charts Bobby was talking about will be going high and right, but not because you're doing anything, right? There's just a lot of folks who need what, what you have, and you're not getting challenged by someone who may, might be out thinking you. So, you know, there are certain uh, rules of thumb. I think one of the things for me, having a co-founder Right. If I didn't have a co-founder, there probably wouldn't be a modus right now because I'd have taken us over one of three cliffs. I know Bobby tries to pull me back every now and then, too. And uh, so for me, I, I think about um, good problems, right? Like good problems, like we don't have enough people or good problems, like things that kind of indicate that what your business was optimized to do is no longer working. And so you have to start rethinking. And I think the faster your growth rate is, and for us, because we're very much a, a people-based business, I look at almost these like Fibonacci numbers where, you know, we went from, from one to two people or two to five, five to 10, you start going from 10 to 20, 20 to 50, 50 to 100, all of a sudden you're replicating like entire structures and, and you start to have to feel a gut sense of we're coming close for us to like one of those numbers that will drive when we need to do a big rethink. But, um, you know, but what I try to do at the end of the day is say, how do we incorporate that into some kind of management cadence? So if there are certain good or bad things happening in the company, will they will they hopefully not go longer than a month before someone identifies them and we can bring it into a formal planning process? Yeah, you know, at the at the end of the day, no matter, you know, from a tech perspective, no matter what you're building, what you're doing, what service, you have customers at the end of the day. 
And as long as everything that you do internally is all focused on ensuring that whatever you're doing is driving the utmost customer success and like the, the best possible customer experience, um, the growth will continue to happen. You know, you can organize your company around ensuring that the efficiency and the execution to continue to drive those customer outcomes are in place. But the growth will continue to happen as long as you're continually delivering and setting yourself up for success and executing on those custom, the customer outcomes. So the way I look at this is, first of all, it's fascinating to me over the years when I've taught uh, entrepreneurship and scaling business school students, I'll say, where does growth come from? And I get a million different answers. And I look at them and say, guys, it's really simple. Growth comes from more people wanting your stuff than you currently can deliver. So in our conversation, we're sort of assuming, and we shouldn't assume away, scaling opportunity comes from having a product that people want to buy. Without product market fit, it's, it's irrelevant. I often think that a CEO is best evaluated, a founder CEO is best evaluated by whether or not the lowest level employee can elucidate and explain the reason for the business and how the business executes and have the words coming out of their mouth be consistent with the founder's vision. Don't you, don't, I mean, that seems to me to be a, a good way to diagnose whether or not you're doing a good job. I don't, I don't know if that's the case because um, what I think about is, and, and there's formal branding exercises and those things, but I think about the role of the CEO as, as being future-oriented. Right. I need to excite the customers about what I'm investing in and building to match their needs. They may not even know they necessarily have yet. And when I often talk to folks, I get an answer relevant to what part of the company they see. You know, if you're in sales, I see the company this way and I have one lens on the firm or if I'm, I'm on client work, I see, you know, this specific need. And so from my perspective, you know, I think about uh, if you're a client-focused person, that may be the world that you need to really understand the value for, for what you're doing there. The, the bigger vision things can become super esoteric, especially for an engineering-oriented business. Like, well, why are we saying we're about digital transformation if we're writing tons of code and doing all these things, right? They're, they're, the, your, your outward-facing message speak to a, an executive customer, and your internal messages to your team are more about, like, this is a great place to work as an engineer, and what are those needs? But I do think that you know, even from an engineering perspective, truly understanding what the customer problem is, mm. having empathy for the customer, that's where innovation comes from. That's where being able to think from a product strategy, from an engine, like just that, yeah, that's where an innovation comes from. So I, not where, I think every, every um, vertical within a, a company obviously have different goals and different outcomes and their vision of the world is a little bit different. But I, I do believe that if everybody is aligned to understanding the problem that we as a company are trying to solve and what that problem is for the customer, you know, good things are going to happen. The growth is going to happen if everybody's marching in the same direction. We're also, Glenn, you're also in an incredible space right now. You're in cyber. Um, and so one of the things to think oh, it's about. it's easy for him. Yeah, I mean, it's not, nice. I wouldn't say it's yeah. easy. I wouldn't say it's, because I am as well. So DeepWatch is a managed, you know, yeah. server, security services provider. Um, Charlie Thomas, probably one of the best CEOs I've ever met in my life. And he and I have worked together on multiple companies He's the CEO. I'm the number two. I'm the COO. And so that dance um, and and thinking about you asked the question earlier. I'm going to go back to Patrick again. It's like, how do you know you're doing a good job? I knew that he was doing a phenomenal job building Modus because of the questions that he would ask me and the problems that he was solving each step of the way in give our me, conversation. Give me some examples because I think that yeah, I hope our listeners. I'll give you a perfect example. Like in the early stages um, of growth, he he was solving the problem. They were more people oriented. They were internally focused. Um, but as time went on, even in our last conversation, he started talking about making an impact globally and how that his model could be rolled out globally. And he was talking about the model of taking what he'd built. Now, he wasn't inwardly focused. He's now outwardly focused. And how can he impact the community? 
how can this be connected to university so that we can actually start, um, you know, building people inside of universities, which he's building relationships with you, Jonathan. So I think his, his, um, the problem that he's solving now is not how do I scale my business? It's how do I make an impact? Mm -hmm. I know we're going to keep giving Patrick a bunch of crazy here, but uh, praise. But when when I I first uh, met Patrick, I was at, his head's getting larger. I was going to say, oh, please edit that out. I was, I was at McAfee and, you know, I was running a, a product line there and, you know, I, you know, reached out to Patrick and, the sort of offerings and the things that Modus was doing at the time, just seeing him evolve, you know, over the last, and it's over 10 years at this yeah, point, awesome. um, just seeing, I, you, you could tell success when you know you have to evolve with the problem space and you can't just have your like heart and mindset on one specific problem. And it's just, it's been really interesting seeing Patrick and Modus kind of evolve with the actual needs of what, the market needs. Well, and I'll, let, I need to like well, uh, I, 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 I need to bring myself down here. But what, what, this is like the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's stop. Uh, um, so the, the grilling will begin shortly. There. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. But me. you know what? I'm going to get Patrick off the hook a little bit. What what we could do with with each of us or a hundred other people or a thousand other people is tell similar stories within the tech community. And I think that's probably the most important lesson everybody should learn, which is we all build networks not by networking. But by executing, and people are always watching. I, I told the story during the break how uh, a friend of mine, a lawyer I know, told me 18 months ago I should meet Bobby for a particular reason, and I spaced until he walked in the studio and I remembered. And that's the kind of things that happened. So if you're starting as an entrepreneur, it seemed to me the most important thing is to establish very early on that you deliver, you execute, you don't make stuff up, you don't lie, and you're honorable. And 10 years later, you can tell a story about somebody and that's how you build a network, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's so true. I think um, as big as the world is, this is a very small community. You get one shot. Integrity is extremely important, um, and it's protected. So, think about this. Just on landing the plane on the last conversation, I'll get. I'll let um, Patrick try to be humble if it's possible. Um, there are witnesses, you know, tens of thousands yeah. now. So think about this DeepWatch organization. It's growing 100 percent per year right now. Um, and think about that. That's the growth side of it. But then if you grow that fast, there's also the delivery side. You can get the customers in, but part of scaling is actually being able to deliver successfully and retaining them. Mm. So as the COO of the company versus being the CEO of the company, um, Charlie's more outwardly focused. There's also the complaint. If you don't do a good job for your customers, then you're not going to scale as effectively. So it's two-pronged now, especially when you get you know above $25, $50 million in revenue. Mm. So there are two pieces to this that really you could do a show on either. How do you grow it, but then making sure that you keep it mm-hmm. successful by um, successful delivery. Oh, well, that sounds like a promise, and I'll take you up on that. Yeah. We'll be back. Fair enough. We can yeah. do that soon. <laughs> I've got about a minute and a half left, two minutes or so with you guys. Um, share with us your best personal advice that you give an entrepreneur getting ready to scale. All right, mine. Um, so the one of the co-founders at Tenable, uh, Renaud Derozan, a brilliant, brilliant man. He uh, invented one of the most widely used security tools at like the age of 16. Um, as Tenable was really growing the, at the rate it was, you know, things were, there was just a lot going on. And he, t- he told me, uh, you can't just, just don't give a F. Mm. And, you know, it was kind of odd hearing that for a second. But, you know, the context around it is there's always so much going on. There's all, like, you can't boil the ocean. You can't solve every problem. So being able to really prioritize the things that are going to make the most impact on the business and your organization is best advice I've ever gotten. 
like I said on, on the onset about being kind of accidental founder and CEO, you know, people always ask, well, what is it, you know, who aren't a CEO or a founder? They think you have this magic knowledge. And, and my, my definition of a good founder or CEO is your job is to not let your success outgrow your ability to run it. You know, I, I think that in many ways you, you with peer mentoring, with, uh, with, you know, going back and getting other, you know, degrees or, or whatever that m- mentorship model is, you have to be always learning about the next needs of your business. Yeah, I mean, there are a million things going through my mind, but there's a quote that goes something like this. Brilliant tactics executed marginally will never outpace not so great ideas, but um, executed with passion. Um, and what that always gave me the opportunity to say is no matter how brilliant someone else is strategically or how what their IQ level was, I could always outwork the hell out of anyone. And so that was probably the best advice. Get ready to work your butt off. That is great advice. We all live that every day. This is a great conversation. I want to thank all of you. I want to thank Bobby Christian, CEO of Deepwatch. Thanks for being here. Pleasure. Pat Sheridan, co-founder of Modus Create. Thanks, Jonathan. And Glenn Penley, CTO of Security Scorecard. Thank you, sir. And now, What the Fed with technologist John Cofrancesco. The Defense Information System Agency, DISA, is preparing to release an $8 billion contract known as DEOS, Defense Enterprise Office Solution, and I'm predicting it's going to fail. And the reason I'm predicting it's going to fail is because in 2013, I worked on a failure worth about $50 million. In 2013, a group of senior leaders at the Navy and Marine Corps sat down and they decided they were going to consolidate 23 different task and records repository into a single solution that they would call the Don Tracker. The Don Tracker, known as the Department of Navy Task Records and Consolidated Knowledge Electronic Repository, was meant to be a solves-all for the Department of Navy, a single place where everybody could put their tasks, their records, and their information so information could be communicated throughout the fleet. After the media hurrah had ended, we quickly learned that there were a number of issues, the same issues that we now face with DOS. First, with organizations as large as the DOD or even the Department of Navy, there are far too many use cases to collect. Second, we learned we needed to select a company that actually had done this before. In Don Tracker, we select a company that had never built a tasking system. With DEOS, there are no companies who have ever built a system of this size because this is an order of magnitude larger than anything else in history. The third problem we learned with Don Tracker is geography matters. With ships in 23 or 24 time zones at any given time, deploying Don Tracker was going to be next to impossible. And with DEOS expected to deploy abroad, at home, on ships, and with Space Force in space, it's not going to be achievable. Ultimately, the lesson learned here is one size fits all, fits none. We should trust local departments to do the right thing for their departments. That was What the Fed with technologist John Cofrancesco. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, the Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. A special shout-out to Marymount University's School of Business and Technology. I'm the dean there now, and we are working hard to help our students master business and technology so it doesn't master them. Check us out at marymount.edu. And thanks, as always, to our sponsors. If you want to join them and help support one of the leading programs in the region pointing out the positivity that defines us, please communicate us directly on Twitter at, at What's Working DC. 
If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 